How often do we drive somewhere that we could just as easily walk to? Or take too much food in the dining hall and end up wasting it? Or vote for candidates who are not pro-environmental? We know that these and countless other actions are harmful to the environment, and yet we still do them. I wanted to know why that is, and so set out to investigate the psychology behind this and try to figure out what can be done to motivate pro-environmental actions. I spoke to Professor Ken Savitsky, who focuses on social psychology and has taught a course here at Williams on environmental psychology, and to Amy Johns, who is the director of the Zilka Center for Environmental Initiatives here on campus. Both had incredibly interesting insights and ideas into why it's so hard to do the right thing environmentally and what can be done to change this. Let's take a look at some of their main ideas. First, there is diffusion of responsibility. With climate change and other environmental issues, Professor Savitsky says that you know, the first thing you have to do when you, when you think about climate change is interpret it as an emergency. Which many people do. But the problem occurs when we do not assume personal responsibility. There's a, yeah, there's a phenomenon called diffusion of responsibility, which is just this idea that a person could think and feel strongly that intervention is necessary, that somebody must do something to help, but not necessarily feel the, the personal burden of responsibility themselves. For instance, we all know that we need to lower emissions levels as much as possible to avoid catastrophic levels of global warming, and yet most of us continue living lives that depend on large amounts of energy and fossil fuel usage. We rationalize this by saying to ourselves, it's okay to live like we do because there are other people who are lowering their emissions and so ours being a little bit higher is not that big a deal. Secondly, and maybe most importantly, there are social norms. These go both ways in that they can encourage people to do harmful actions or motivate them to do the right things. When I spoke to Amy Johns, she said that... Yeah, so one of the strongest internal motivations is um, our nature as social creatures. We want to be liked. We want to, at a very instinctive level, fit in. We want to be like the people around us. While this can be good if people around you are doing the right thing, what happens when they are not? That's definitely a, a challenge what's changed because um, so positive social norms work well, but what happens if you don't have like a reference group that's doing the right thing? So if everyone around you throws everything out and never recycles, you'll be much more likely to do the same thing. And you can kind of get around that with, with promoting leaders if you can get a couple of well-respected people to, to sort of align with you. A good example of this is that both Venus Williams and Tom Brady are vegan, among other famous athletes, and this can motivate people who look up to them to change their diet to be more sustainable too. It's also often a problem because... I think a lot of time environmental activists and environmental communicators lean towards emphasizing the problem and that's been pretty well demonstrated to not work especially if the problem is in line with how people already act because then we will think that that is how everyone acts and so act accordingly doing the wrong thing can even occur if you have pro-environmental attitudes another thing that attitudes have to compete with would be uh, what we call social norms 
what does everyone else do? Or, or more to the point, what do I think everyone else does? And if I think, even if I have all the pro-environmental attitudes in the world, if I think no one else is doing the behavior, I'm less likely to do it. So uh, those are called descriptive social norms. When descriptive social norms are contrary to the behavior, they have this gravitational pull. The reason that that's so important and the, the thing that, uh, that gets people tripped up is that a lot of times in environmental appeals, you will see social norms trotted out, but it's in the wrong direction. For example, an ad campaign might say, you should walk to work instead of driving because it saves gas. Only two out of 20 people walk to work. You can make a change. But then we see that and our subconscious goes, oh, well, if 18 out of 20 people drive to work, then I should too, because that is what most people do. This is obviously not a desirable outcome. And Amy Johns pointed out that good social norms, they're tricky to establish sometimes, but if a positive environmental social norm can be established, that's been demonstrated to work very well. To establish a positive norm, an ad would have to say something like, 75% of people who stay in this hotel reuse their towels, which saves water. This will in turn make you more likely to reuse your towels as well because you're joining the majority in doing so. Social norms provide internal motivation to us because we want to act in ways of our own accord, even though it is based on what other people are doing. The research does tend to show that internal motivations are what work long-term and then external motivations can work in the short-term. Often external motivations are used to try to get people to do the right thing, but these can have a negative effect after the external motivation is gone, because then we stop having any motivation to do the right thing, and maybe we even start acting worse than before. Back to the reasons, though. There's also the problem that most of us focus on the present and our experiences now, and we don't think about people who are already being affected by climate change and environmental issues, or about future generations. Negative consequences in the future are discounted in terms of their, uh, of their severity. And so a, a terrible thing that is, a, that is about to happen soon is viewed as worse than an identical terrible thing that will happen in the future. So to counteract this, we must talk more about who it will affect and when. In environmental writing, there's so much talk of grandchildren. And that really is, I think, to make it um, um, feel more personal. Finally, while there are many more reasons, the last one I'm going to focus on is that often we just feel too damn overwhelmed by the scale of the issue. When we feel like this, we might feel helpless, in which case we lose all motivation to change how we act. Or we might just start avoiding learning about the issue because it makes us too depressed to know about it and not feel like we can make a difference. One of the uh, predictors of when they don't want information is when they feel that there's nothing they can do about it. This can be tough to combat, but... The trick is, I think, when it comes to climate change, persuading people that we're not in that situation. It's dire. It's an emergency. It's a, it's a concern, it's a problem, it's a crisis, um, but it's not an insurmountable one. It, there is some hope, there, is, there are things that, that can be done, and that's when you're going to inspire people to seek out information, that's when you're going to inspire people to act in ways that lead them to persuade themselves that they do in fact have pro-environmental attitudes. <laughs>